do you think that there is a cabal or a person on top, some person somewhere who knows? I, I do. Re remember that uh, Aw Sapinay tip took place on Skinwalker Ranch. That money was allotted to Bigelow for whatever was happening there. Bigelow sold the property. Why would he do that? It had to be that they found their answers. I, I got love for the game. Welcome to Raw and Relentless, the podcast. We got James Patrick here, um, who we've been talking about for a while. I was introduced to him virtually via email from Stacy Wright, who runs the Arizona and Phoenix MUFON. And you guys might remember her episode from uh, a couple months ago at this point. And she basically said that James is a portal expert, the way she introduced him to me. <laughs> And uh, he has done work on Skinwalker Ranch. And what, was there another ranch that you do work at too? There is, yes. Uh, Blind Frog Ranch, which is north of uh, Skinwalker Ranch on the Uinta Basin as well. Okay, so they're both in Utah. Correct. They're both in northeast Utah. Interesting. Well, after around that time is probably around the time that I first even heard about Skinwalker Ranch. And I feel like in recent months, it's become a more of a bigger phenomenon that more people have known about as... I feel like Joe Rogan has been talking about it a little bit, um, but I'm really fascinated because I, it seems to me like it's not like you can put your finger on like one thing about Skinwalker Ranch, like it's only UFOs or it's only Bigfoot or it's only a Skinwalker. It seems like it's a combination of a lot of unexplainable things. Is that accurate? Sure. There's a lot of different paranormal events taking place there. And uh, like you said, there's really no way to... to you know, look for just one thing because you may be there for maybe to look for a UAP and you end up seeing something completely different. Mm. Um, same with while they're there, you know, they may have a certain expert on in some, some specific field and something completely different happens, uh, you know, while they're, uh, they're researching or investigating that has not, nothing to do with their ballpark. So it, it's very interesting. And, um, you know, just one of the few places here on the planet that you can actually uh, almost count on within a certain amount of time something occurring just that's you know listed as paranormal mm. uh and so i guess before we get it too much into the weeds did i describe what you do properly is that accurate or what, what how would you describe what you do sure so yeah uh my background uh is in law enforcement investigation so i've had a lot of criminal and civil law uh investigations and uh education wise uh, it's in anthropology and archaeology so it's been really nice to fuse the two together uh i'm researching and out there for more for the ancient uh very ancient lost cultures or civilizations that uh information about them has been lost due to catastrophic events and in the course of doing something like that it obviously goes with or goes into other you know events and they melt together mm. and uh, a large part of that just always seems to be um, in the realm of ufology or you know in the realm of uh cryptids uh, or other paranormal events taking place. Mm. Where did your interest in this all start? Was it from an academic perspective? From that and, 
you know, I guess everybody has, uh, well, I wouldn't say everybody, but uh, many people that I know have had some type of uh, occurrence or event happen to them that, uh, you know, makes them kind of shake their head and wonder what just happened. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had that in my personal life uh, before I was a police officer, while I was a police officer, certain things like that. And um, I guess the interest grew, obviously, from just trying to be able to explain what occurred. And I think that was actually, um, without really knowing maybe what pushed me towards anthropology and archaeology, because, you know, that allows you to kind of structure and investigate and research the past using different methods, not just scientific methods. Well, I, I guess the, the scientists would say it would mm -hmm. have to all be a scientific method, but I think you have to kind of look outside of the box as well. Mm, interesting. And it, it is it, even more compelling to me that you have a, a background in law enforcement because typically you think of a, a police officer, he's got to be the logical person. He's got to be the one who investigates and tries to get to the bottom of it, or at least plays a role in that. Um, and do you feel like, I don't know, do you feel like an internal battle sometimes where your scientific brain is like trying to wrap around like some of this unexplainable stuff? And how does that, how, how have you dealt with that up to this point? Sure. So uh, just due to that reason, uh, when I've, I've written se uh, several books and I've stuck to fiction, even though Several of them have a lot of uh, real life events in them just due to the, what you said. You know, if you're in, uh, even in civil investigation, whether it was, uh, you know, you're doing some type of insurance fraud investigation or something in that regards, you're around, around a lot of people that were in law enforcement. So if I wrote nonfiction, I don't believe I would have had a job the next day. Mm. Uh, so it, it was, I, I always tell people, I was personally disguising a lot of what occurred to me just due to the fact that I don't believe it would have uh, helped me in my career. Um, but I still wanted to tell the, you know, tell the stories or explain what had occurred. Um, but at the same time, I also enjoyed the fictional writing and being able to meld the two together and, um, you know, create something out of what occurred. Uh, so, you know, like the first, book that I ever wrote, I would almost tell people that good 40% of it is, is, you know, from my life, wow. uh, events that took place in my lifetime. Yeah. Would you mind kind of just going into like, what are some of those experiences that really, that I guess, would you classify them as paranormal? Yeah, they, they would, uh, I always tell people, uh, when I was very young, I drowned and, uh, I had, a, I, I was actually, uh, not here, I guess you could say for a good seven to 10 minutes before I was found in a pool. Mm. Um, and then, uh, it took a while, it's a long time it's to be a underwater. Very long time. As a yeah. matter of fact, I had gone from a, a blue state to purple already. And it took a, a while to, you know, get me out, resuscitate me. Mm. Um, and I guess just from that point from being so young, cause it was before I was two years of age. Wow. And then just being able to recall absolutely everything from that point on as if, I Would you say that's one of your first memories ever? It's exactly. I, I, I have perfect adult recollection is how I like to explain it to people mm. from that point on. And um, I think from that, I, I've always felt that maybe the uh, events that took place in my life uh, were caused by that, or maybe it opened something up in that regard. So uh, I had the fascination for it. And even though, 
um, you know, I got into law enforcement or uh, I, I, I try to do a lot of science-based uh, data point research and, and pull that in. I've always been open to other possibilities because, you know, you always think about science of the past. Um, you know, what we know today, if somehow we took back then, they, they would think it was witchcraft to them, you know, or currently what we know, we're still such a, a young species in this universe and galaxy that there's probably so much that we absolutely don't understand. And right now we classify that as paranormal, you know, just being out of the realm of understanding it scientifically. And, uh, you know, other experiences I had as a police officer that kind in of Phoenix. No, no. In uh, Texas. Okay. And, uh, you know, when it's happening, you, you just kind of like, you know, what's going on. And then the issue or problem is what do you do once something like that happens? And obviously my partner and I decided, you know, not to discuss or talk about it mm. other than what occurred. And, uh, in the report, it was just a simple incident report instead of going into those details. Yeah. And, and you know, back in uh, the nineties when I, I was, uh, when this occurred, um, what was it that occurred? <laughs> so we went to a domestic violence call and we'd been to this house several times. The husband and wife, uh, were just fighting constantly. And, it got to the point where it was almost becoming uh, violent. They had three children. And that night uh, we, we went uh, again, my partner was pretty ticked off. You know, he, he told them this is getting to the point where he was going to arrest both of them. So we walked in, uh, he had the husband and wife there. He told them, call everybody in the house that's here. I want everyone in the living room. Um, so we gathered what we thought was everybody in the living room. Uh, he was in the living room with them. I was still standing at the front door while it was closed because to the left of that door was a staircase leading upwards. And I could still see my partner down the hallway, probably about 12 feet away from me. And he was standing in the entryway so I could physically see all of him while they were sitting down. So I wasn't able to see them. But as he was telling them that this is the last time that we're coming out, next time we're going to go ahead and arrest both of you, put the kids into CPS and... Uh, we're going to put an end to it one way or the other if you guys can't figure it out. And as he was doing this from upstairs, somebody yelled out, F you, you know, just loud as could be. And, and, and your just, thought as an officer is there's someone else in the house. Someone else in the house. Okay. And my partner looks down at the husband and goes, I told you I want everybody down here. What part of that did you not understand? And then you hear several people upstairs just start screaming, um, you know, get the F out of the house. You and I, I mean, it was just almost pure profanity. Mm -hmm. And while he's talking to the husband saying, what's going on? What do you, how many people do you have upstairs? I can't hear that conversation because it's starting to get louder and louder with more people. So at that point, are you the only one hearing these voices? No, no. Okay. Everybody in the house hears it. That's why my partner's talking to uh, the husband telling him, I told you to have everybody downstairs. Yeah. Why are there people upstairs? It gets so loud that though I can't start hearing my partner's conversation with the father. Um, at that point, it, it's, it, it sounds almost like there's going to be a, a confrontation between us and whoever's in the house. So I get on my radio and I request um, from dispatch backup units to that location. And 
I, I yell out to my partner, hey, I'm going to go up the staircase. Uh, so I pull out my mag flashlight and uh, slowly start uh, sending the staircase. Um, as I do it, it's only about 12 or 13 steps. Uh, and as I'm getting up there, there's no lights on. So it's a dark hallway that leads down in all the rooms partitioned to the left or the right. But this was a home that was built in the 80s and it had that old wood paneling, that faux wood that had all those ovals and circles in them. Mm. And uh, as I got towards the top, it got so loud, the the screaming and the, the And it's like multiple voices? Multiple. Like, okay. Probably to the point where it felt like I was in a, a nightclub, but of people that were angry mm. and getting ready to fight. It, it was very confrontational. Did it seem like they were yelling at each other or at you? No, it, it was directed towards people and that those people that were downstairs, including myself. Got it. Uh, and it's hard to tell you exactly because there was so much profanity being mm. spewed in between everything. Um, obviously, my partner was pretty shaken up. He, he requested from dispatch that the units um, get here sooner. And so I think at that time they changed the code to code three for them to come because they, they obviously knew there was, you know, some type of duress going on in the house. I get up to the very top and I start walking down the, this dark hallway because the only light was on in the living room, which was down at the other end of the house. Mm. And I noticed like this movement uh, on the left and the right of me. And I'm like, you know, what the heck's going on? I, I mean, I start drawing other getting ready for somebody to jump me. I lift up the mag light and I shine it on both sides of the wall. And there's these faces inside the wood uh, where the, just the ovals in the wood should be moving and, and constantly watching and just yelling and screaming. And you just kind of stand there and you're like, you have, you really have no idea. So it's like the formations in the in wood. In the wall, in the wood. Are like it, faces. Are faces yelling and screaming and they're moving. They're, they're not three-dimensional. They're inside, but it still has movement. And I'm, I'm shining the light and I'm like, uh, yeah. what do I even do at this point? My partner is yelling up to me and I, I just kind of blanked out. You know, you don't know what to do. So he yeah. comes running up the stairs thinking that something's already occurring. And I get up there and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And I, I, I pick up his flashlight and push it to where he can see. And he, he just goes pale and he's, he doesn't know what to do. And at that point, uh, you can hear the... Uh, two units pull up outside. Um, you can start uh, seeing on the, the edges of where the the rooms are, the, the lights from the police units. And we're just standing there still. And it's so loud. And the, the officers come to the door. The moment they open up the door, uh, everything just stopped. Wow. And the two of us are up there. And we're like, they're like, what's going on? What's going on? And Quickly, my partner said, you know what? It's our bad. They're, they had a TV on super loud. That was something was occurring. Yeah, we're, we're code for it this time. You know, go ahead and go back to it. And it, it, it always was very difficult for me to talk about something like that. And if we ever discussed something like that, I wouldn't have had a job the next day, you know? Wow. And so. So the person who would have hypothetically fired you had you talked about that would that have been the police chief i have no idea okay. I, I i would have never expected to go that far with what we did was you know we, were, we talked to the husband and wife they said they've had issues like that occurring now for a few weeks um we told them you know you got to obviously change something around here because we don't want to come back 
and now more so than ever. And when we got out to the car, uh, we just decided together that we were just going to write a DV incident report, and that was it. And we never ended up going back to the house after that. So do you feel like in retrospect that the f- the familial issues that had brought you there originally were caused by whatever was in the wood? You know, I, I don't know what was the, the causation. If one, you know, if their anger and demeanor in the household maybe put out some type of energy or if maybe there was an energy in, in that location that caused it in the opposite direction, mm. I don't know. I just know that when you walked in, you could kind of feel just a, a heavy presence. Mm. Um, but obviously there was a lot of uh, anger issues between the, the husband and wife going on. And that's what we originally thought it was. And, and you kind of get that sense, you know, when you walk into a house or whatever, uh, in a situation like that, and it, it was a little, little more so that night. And I guess we found out why at yeah. the end. How big were the faces? They were all different sizes. It depended on the the oval or the circles inside the wood. It was as if the faces formed to whatever that was. And it was that faux wood paneling that they used to put into like the old houses. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, even cheaper. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And did the faces seem present in this reality to where they were speaking to you and reacting to like when the when the other police showed up they were like oh snap and then they dipped you think it was kind of like a reaction to that or were they in their own kind of existence well obviously there was some type of interaction taking place because as i moved up the stairs and started entering the hallway it became worse Mm -hmm. so they're knowing that my presence was there that was obvious to me Um, and, and the same with my partner and the same with the husband and wife, because I mean, it was a, a 20 minute discussion that we had with them before we left. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I can't answer your question cause I just don't know that answer. But yeah. I mean, obviously that's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in lost cultures, you know, civilizations, yeah. um, what was taking place here before that we're just, we don't understand paranormal you know because at some point there's just got to be a breaking point to where we start uh figuring things out in, yeah. in regards to how we all interface with uh, whether it be different dimensions um and, and how that collapses or are we talking about maybe a past a present and a future collapsing at one point mm. coming together who knows right now i mean i i don't have that answer interesting so this would you say is like the one of the defining moments other than your near-death experience that really sparked your intrigue into researching this kind of stuff further? Yes. Okay. And I feel like this is one of the things that you breezed on that I really wanted to, uh, I guess, get get more of your take on, which was like, what was that memory that you can recall now so vividly from when you would almost drown? Sure. So you, you always hear people when they have a near-death experience tell you they saw uh, a light or they they saw their relatives or, you know, something like that. They went somewhere else. That wasn't what I experienced. Um, when I passed, I remember, uh, everything just getting darker and darker and harder and harder to breathe. And, uh, I, I tried fighting to get up to the top of the water and you could see the outside, you could see the sky, you could see the sun, but it was just 
blurry because of the water moving. And, and at some point I just gave up. And uh, then I was just in nowhere. And when I try to explain that to people, it, it wasn't that, um, it, it wasn't nowhere. It was the fact that you no longer, or I, I no longer use the senses that we're aware of now. It, it almost felt like I was everywhere and that everything was connected. So you could sense, you could feel, you could he I, not hear. You, you didn't have to hear anymore. It was like uh, everything that has been here or alive or existed now all of a sudden existed together. And I have such difficulty explaining to you or to anybody because I have to use our five senses that we're aware of, and I don't know how to do that. Mm. Um, I could feel other it wasn't people. It was just other uh, things everywhere and, and could uh, kind of know exactly at every moment what that was. And um, at some point then uh, I remember uh, starting to uh, come back after they were resuscitating me. And that um, that ability of being, I guess, like intertwined or all this togetherness uh, was pulled. And, and then I started realizing and, and I started sensing. I started hearing again. I slowly started seeing. I could feel my, you know, parts of my body um, as I came back. But um, I really didn't care to come back uh, because it was like, just like ex you existed with everything at one time and no matter who you knew or, or what you ever wanted, it was all there for, for you to understand and be a part of that. I think that's the best way I can possibly explain it. So I never saw, um, you know, physical bodies or people that you could recognize or lights or anything of that. It was just this, was it, it black? It, it, because there was no sight being used. It mm. was just, uh, it, I don't know how to explain it. There was no, was it more like an inter internal feeling like that? Like you, you were just suddenly a part of everything. Mm. Do you, do you remember it being a positive or a negative? Oh, it's absolutely positive. You could, you know, you could feel negativity too. Mm. Um, there were, there was good and bad still. Um, uh, but, but I think that, uh, of how we see in reality, good or bad, I think it was a little different. And I, I just, I don't know how to, how to explain it. Mm. I, I feel like I can somewhat understand your feeling now trying to explain it. Um, only because, and, and this is a shot in the dark and I know you're a police officer, but have you ever had a psychedelic experience where you've taken maybe a psilocybin mushroom or anything like that? Uh, not to that degree. Okay. Have you, have you, I guess, talked to anybody who has, uh, and like kind of related your experiences have you found any commonalities so i've never i rarely discuss this okay interesting when i drown okay is it, is it because why is that it's something i you know yeah. I, I mean as i started getting uh, more into uh researching the paranormal and i'm no longer in uh, some type of investigation uh, I've been more and more open to uh, discussing it. And, uh, you know, after writing the book, now I'm able to come out and tell people, you know, 
like at the shows, if I'm there at a show, a lot of times uh, when I get to talk to somebody, I'll take post-it notes and I'll put it in the book. You know, this was really what, what took place and this is what happened. Mm. This isn't real, you know? Um, and, and just uh, sometimes uh, you'll have a 30 minute conversation with somebody at the show. Um, and uh, I don't know, sometimes it, it feels good to be able to discuss it, uh, but I'm still, you know, slightly, I, I guess, slightly embarrassed about uh, talking about things like that, just due to the fact that it was pounded into me for so long that that's taboo. You, you mm. shouldn't be talking about that or events like that. Yeah. When you were a child, did you ever try to relate this experience? And do you feel like maybe some of your hesitation to talk about it might be from experiences when you were younger where somebody was like, yeah, that's, you know, don't think about that. So no, I never really, uh, I never even discussed it with my mother or father until about five or six years ago when wow. I started uh, writing and I was like, you know what, um, this is the path I want to take. This is uh, kind of the, the thing I want to do after being 25 years in some type of investigation. I want to get out there now. Um, and, uh, you know, crossover, not just the uh, talk about cataclysmic events and lost cultures and civilizations, but I, I'm open-minded to both. I'm open-minded to the scientific method, which I do a lot when I'm researching and investigating mm. with a lot of technology, because there's a lot of people, and I understand that just refuse to believe it, or they feel like I did, like um, you're giving up a part of yourself and, and you're letting down your guard if you uh, allow that to happen. So I get it. And to that, I'll give them what they need in, in data points. And then now I can be a little bit more open. And, you know, as time goes by, like here I am, you know, discussing yeah. it. it, it, it gets a little easier and people go, oh, well, you're discussing it on the radio or, on, you know, on a podcast. Um, because I think at some point, and I always tell people, I think that what I, we're researching or looking into and these uncommon occurrences or atypical occurrences at some point there's got to be some type of origin or 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 energy or something that that is a causation acting it. a force yeah. a causation for all of it to occur yeah yeah that's very interesting and i guess one of the things that i was actually talking about on a previous podcast with chris was like kind of the hard thing about the topic of anything that would be classified paranormal is if you have a scientific mind or like you've you know the scientific process, it's it's hard to wrap your mind around it, a lot of this stuff, even if you've experienced it, because for it to be a scientific process, it has to be a repeatable experiment, right? Exactly. And a lot of the paranormal activities are like, you can't repeat this even if you tried. And that's, I mean, that's an excellent point. Uh, and a lot of people make it. And, uh, you know, you got to think too that as a scientist, which I'm not, um, they've learned from someone that learned from someone that has the same information at some point. Mm. And uh, like I said, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, a lot of stuff seemed like magic that now is just known technology to us. And so I get it. Uh, I think we're now in a time that we understand that possibility more and we have that opportunity. Uh, I mean, like think about your cell phone. Yeah. We have this, onboard computer that can do what we saw in star trek you know 40 50 years ago that we were like you know yeah. science fiction now it's not it's it's just the common 
everyday thing. And, you know, when you come across these kids nowadays, uh, they don't even think about uh, the past or that we didn't have it. It's just something that's in their life, daily usage, and it's always been there for them. Yeah. Do you feel, uh, and I guess this is kind of just around the topic of technology in general, but do you feel like at some point we will reach a technological point where we can start to explain a lot of the paranormal occurrences that we can't explain today. Absolutely. And you know, paranormal just means something that's not explainable right now. Yeah. It, it, and think about to the fact that science really, what is science? When we listen to the media, they're pushing it or we have this point or it's an agenda that we're supposed to take it as gospel. Yeah. And science has become a religion in and of itself. And the science of yesterday is no longer the science of today. So in 50 years, what we believe is real, you know, or scientific or proven, proven is just, it's a yeah. word that needs to be taken out of science because everything that was proven before is now, well, not everything, but a lot of things that were proven in the past are now different. We're on a different paradigm and it's getting harder and harder to shift because, you know, if you do that, people lose their grants or they lose their ability to just, you know, talk about it, teach about, teach it. And they've been doing it their whole life. So suddenly you're taking their livelihood away. And, you know, I, I get that. I understand it. Yeah. It, it's hard to break through that. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess I'm curious, you know, um, being that you have a lot of interest in like ancient civilizations, lost cultures and stuff, how did that lead you to Skinwalker Ranch and your work there? And let's kind of go into some of that. Sure. So um, I, I specifically look into a lot of Mesoamerican uh, culture and civilization. I'm in Mexico a lot. Uh, when I was going to school, I focused on uh, Mesoamerica. And as you do this, uh, we realized that um, either moving upwards or downwards, a lot of the indigenous people started out in Central America and moved upwards, or it could have been the opposite way, like the Azteca probably started out in the Southwest and moved down into Mexico and absorbed uh, other indigenous people like the Hohokam, maybe the Mugion. Those that stayed later became uh, bands that we have around us today. But uh, a lot of that, as they moved southward, moved and turned into the Azteca. And the Aztec weren't specifically a people. They were a nation of all these different tribes that would be conquered, you know, and they would break away and reconquer. But a lot of what's in uh, the Mesoamerica area is in the desert southwest. So I was up in northeastern Utah focusing on petroglyphs and pictographs. And you look at these uh three groups. One group is the Fremont. The other is the Barrier Canyon style. And then there's a third, which they've labeled unknown because they're, they're that unknown. They're, there's mm. no, very few artifacts to really point to who they were or uh, sites that you can say, because like Barrier Canyon, they get their name from where artifacts were found. We don't know who they were. But in the petroglyphs and pictographs, you look around, you know, like if you and I were to make something right now we would draw cars because that's in our life our cell phones yeah. our tv our friends our house grass the lakes we would draw what we see around us this culture focused in on just a few things and most of them were anthropomorphic um, meaning there were figures 
whatever they were that just didn't make sense. And you got to ask yourself, where's all the regular stuff? Why were they so focused on so few subject matter? And it got me to thinking, you know, and you look at some of this stuff and you're like, are these like alien looking creatures? Okay. You said it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So you look at this and you're like, you know, from what I see on TV now, this thing looks like a gray. What would somebody classify as a gray alien, you Mm. know, or, or that looks like a man that has an ant's head on it. Just crazy. Or this is a giant. I mean, this petroglyph has, you know, six toes on each side, huge feet. You know, it's representing a, a giant from a lost culture that lived here. And I was aware of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, I'd heard about it, but I was no expert at the time. Didn't even know that it was on the Uintah Basin. As I started interviewing uh, the tribes that were there, the specifically or most the Ute, which are made up of, uh, Northern Ute are made up of several bands uh, that have created that uh, nation now. And they're like, they start talking about the skinwalkers. And I understood, I, I, I'm into folklore and the mythology. I, I know what the Yinadlushi, which are the shape-shifting skinwalkers that practice Adagash. I get that. I, I, but um, then they start telling you, oh, there's this ranch where all this stuff happens. Very few of us go on it. It's in uh, the path of the skinwalker. And suddenly I'm like, what? Yeah. You know? So there's atypical occurrences happening and I see atypical subject matter all around me. So over time, you're like, you know what? This thing's been happening for thousands of years. Paranormal events have been taking place and the subject matter that's being shown, it was so outstanding and bizarre to them because they don't see planes every day flying around and helicopters and, you know, Mm -hmm. so for them, I mean, you're talking about a Phoenix or a fire God or, or a, a bird flying in the sky, or if it's up high, you, they see crosses flying around, you know, or other different types of uh, subject matter. Uh, and, and you got to kind of pull yourself out of the box of what um, my anthropology or an archaeology professor would tell you and, and say, you know, what? maybe what they told me that possibly represents because the only person that knows what the subject matter is about is the artist. You know, yeah. when you look at a petroglyph, you know, two things, you know, it's location and, uh, what it, what it looks like in, in it forms. Mm. Is it a, you know, is it a hexagon? Is it a diagonal? Is it a figure eight? You can give, you can tell what the shape is, but you can't say what the subject matter is. But after you start seeing so much of it and then things that should be drawn or painted missing, I started thinking, you know what? Maybe these events were over a long period of time. Let me look at it from not just a perspective of it representing what we know, but maybe what we don't know or don't understand or lost historical data on. So that's then where I meld the two, the lost cultures, the lost uh, civilizations. Because you know what? The answer is not always a UFO. The answer is not always interdimensional. Uh, A lot of what a lot of people miss or the point is 
there could have been civilizations that existed on this planet 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million years ago, 100 million years ago. We only say, oh, 15,000, 18,000 years ago, prior to the, the interglacial period, uh, these people were here, the Anunnaki you hear, the Nephilim. Well, they were only here maybe if they existed 280,000 years ago. What existed 100 million years ago and from catastrophic events or, or just geologic changes, we've lost that historical yeah. data. What technology did they have that could possibly still be underground, still functioning, or did us mining, um, causing seismic activity, have reactivated, have opened? And I'll tell you what, that Uintah Basin is just riddled, riddled with underground tunnel system, caverns, yeah. mines. And you got to ask yourself, why? Well, I'm starting to lean towards that there was a meteor asteroid impact at the time where it was a lake, a huge lake. So where is this at the Uintah Basin? The Uintah Basin is in northeastern Utah. On the Uintah Basin, Skinwalker Ranch and Blind Frog Ranch are located. Okay. So uh, it, it encompasses all the way from Dinosaur National Monument, which is right at the Colorado-Utah border. Uh, then as you move westward, you go into Vernal um, and then... Uh, you go into La Pointe, uh, and above that is Blind Frog Ranch. Below that is Fort Duchesne, which is the Ute Reservation. And then directly next to Fort Duchesne is uh, this reservoir, which is we could discuss Bottle Hollow Reservoir for two hours. Below that is a huge mesa. At the end of that mesa on the south side is Skinwalker Ridge, and then you have Skinwalker Ranch below it. Hmm. Interesting. And so all those basins, you think, or like the tunnel system, how how did what connected you that present being present to you believe it was from a catastrophic like meteor impact? Sure. So um, when you go to Meteor Crater, which is what three hours north of here, when that impacted, it opened up ripped open fissures underground. As a matter of fact, I took uh, Phoenix Mufon uh, in March up there, and we were underground for hours because that's how big the cavern systems wow. are. Uh, it goes on forever. You just, uh, you know, as you get a little older, you put a little more weight on and you can't fit through where you, I used to mm. 10 years ago. Um, so you can only go so far now. And uh, that was created, obviously, by the impact. I mean, it ripped open fissures. So if and these that, were present prior to Meteor Crater, I, I think Meteor Crater caused it. I, I think the impact that's right outside of Winslow that created Meteor Crater also created a lot of the tunnel systems mm. uh, from that huge impact, um, just breaking apart everything underground. So I think that occurred when there was this Eocene Uintah Lake, which was massive. It, it went all the way into uh, West Colorado and covered a good portion of Northeastern Utah. Um, I think it impacted while the lake was there. Uh, so it ripped open all this. And then you got to take into account water as this lake was there for about 13 and a half million years, dripping and dripping. There's limestone underground underneath it. So you have all this water creating, uh, you know, as it drips down and it, uh, the acids eat away, um, the carbon, there, there's this carbon acid and all that taking effect. It's opening all these cavern systems and tunnel systems. And um, what was there? You know, if you're talking about a 13 and a half million year period and 
humans think, oh, we're it. You know, we've been here 200,000 years. We've really kicked it into uh, turbo, you know, in the last yeah. 10,000 years. Uh, there's no way. Uh, that's, that's just absolutely wrong when you think about just how long the earth has been here, how long the solar system has been here. So what was using that or what technology is down there or, you know, who was there mining already that was enslaving as uh, indigenous people started showing up? Who was enslaving the indigenous people and using them for mining? And, you know, Blind Frog Ranch, mystery of Blind Frog Ranch, a good part of that is they're mining or looking for lost gold mm. uh, bullion. Um, so if that is a real thing, and it was from the Spaniards. Well, here's an interesting little tidbit. When the Spaniards originally went up into Utah um, to start looking for gold and to start mining, the indigenous people told them, you know what? There's already mines in existence. There's already bullion available. And they started immediately bringing that back down into Mexico and then shipping tax portion off back to Spain. Not many people, or I don't think anybody really questions you know why was it there before the spaniards who was mining that yeah. so it, like so like i said you start finding that maybe these cultures and civilizations currently melt into the paranormal because we just don't know that they're a part of the big picture yet interesting and so um when you went up to uh skinwalker ranch and blind frog ranch it was originally because you were fascinated by the tunnel systems and like the fact that there was evidence of mining from before we ever thought it was possible to be mining there. Well, it, again, it was all the petroglyphs and pictographs. And then I mm. realized something's going on here because what, what's in these petroglyphs and pictographs, it, it's, it, it's something that is in nine mile Canyon, which is about 80 miles away from uh, dinosaur national monument. And then that's about 40 miles northwest, you, you have uh, Dry Fork Canyon. So these indigenous people saw the same thing and were drawing the same thing. They're far away, but what do they have all in common? You look up and you all can see the same sky, mm. you know, or if some event is taking place. Now there's the Uintah Mountains that run between Nine Mile Canyon where Price is and you have to go through that. But if it's occurring at such a, a, a large volume at some point in history and it's so prevalent that that's what they're uh, putting down for future people to know you know for them to let their ancestors know about you know well where's that origin yeah so that started me off and then um, as i do more investigating and research i start learning so things that i thought i knew were what I thought, you know, and I'm getting into that scientific part where I thought it was fact and, and it wasn't going to change, but it, it continues to evolve. So uh, my theories and as into certain things, why they're happening has already uh, altered or been changed from even last year as, oh, wow. as I do more research and we get a, come across more data points. Um, and I have future uh, events coming up where uh, I'm I'm still in the process of creating that lecture for uh, what we found. And what's kind of cool, too, is I'm going to be up there uh, the last week of May, first week of June, and then go right from there to Laughlin, Nevada, to to present this at the um, the UFO uh, mega conference in mm. Laughlin. 
So hopefully I'll have enough time to put uh, everything together. Uh, and then obviously, I mean, there, there's certain things I have an NDA with uh, that I, I can't discuss. Mm. Um, but a great, great, fantastic thing is May 4th, uh, season two of Secret of Skinwalker Ranch is starting. So uh, there's going to be a lot more unfolding, being told to the public, which we never, never had any type of uh, knowledge of it when Bigelow owned it before. Uh, yeah. you know, so he doesn't Fugel. own it anymore? No, uh, Brandon Fugel per- purchased it in 2016. Okay. And kind of what I have heard about Skinwalker Ranch, the limited things I have heard, it seems as though like it's like they don't all fall under one realm. Like there's a bunch of different types of paranormal activity. And then I guess what um, George Knapp was saying on Joe Rogan was like, it's almost like they it, you can't capture it on, on video. Like it almost knows that there's videos and it doesn't want to be captured. Does this reflect some of your experiences up there? And have you ever experienced unexplainable phenomena at Skinwalker Ranch? So, yes. Um, with some uh, technology like a magnetometer, uh, ground penetrating radar, I've been able to capture certain data points, which will be presented. As like anomalies? Uh, atypical. Yeah, exactly. Okay. They're atypical uh, data points, magnetic. Most of them are. And I can't get too deep into that. But so I've captured due to NDAs or due to okay. NDAs. So some of that's been captured and that's going to come out in during from May 4th yeah. through the summer. Um, so, yes, uh, for some reason, it, it, it almost knows. And, and that's not always the case. But and this has shown a lot and it's happened to me and I didn't believe it until it happened. But a lot of equipment fails for some reason. Really? So I have a magnetometer that it's really interesting. It, it, it's I, I have a Fluxgate magnetometer, which is very high tech. And then I have this vector magnetometer, which isn't so high tech. It's a box, yay, like this. Mm. And it has this switch on, off. And you got to push it to go on or push it to off. Yeah. I mean, manually push it on, off. It's not a computer that needs to be booted up like the Fluxgate Uh, It doesn't store data. Uh, Well, it does because I've had added on, but then I have to go and plug that into a computer to use. Mm. So this should never turn off unless the battery dies or I turn it off. Got it. You know, things like that. Or you have a GPS that is locked on. I'm getting perfect coordinates. I go to a certain location and it's on, but it's not functioning. Huh. It just, it's not, it's not picking up the satellites. It's not, it's just giving me zeros or just locked. You move away, you go somewhere else, goes right back on, you know, or you have uh, meters that you just change the batteries. You put those good industrial batteries in that are supposed to last twice as long and it dies. Wow. And the batteries are no good. So you have all these things and until you experience it or at least see it as it's being filmed, it's hard to believe. Mm. Um, and experience wise, yes, I've had, uh, but it's going to come out soon. I can't just dis- discuss it. Does it fall under the realm of UFOs? I know your, your recent book that you, uh, brought today was, um, has a picture of Bigfoot on it. Um, or like, is it like a skinwalker or I guess, are you able to kind of go into any of those details? It, 
it's I guess it would be labeled as um, one of them. I can talk. I can discuss one because okay. uh, I've already talked about it in prior um, talks. We were just south of Skinwalker Ranch on another property, and uh, I was with uh, security for that location. And they have a common uh, border fence. Uh, it's the south fence of Skinwalker Ranch and the north fence of this property. And while we were out there, we were out there for about 18 hours one day. It was uh, in the summer. I think it was in June. It was No, it was the last day of May. And uh, we were, you know, collecting data. Uh, I was collecting um, soil samples, I think, at the time. And the security goes, do you smell that? And I was like, yeah, it, it smells like uh, something was killed or died. And he's like, kind of. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It, it's, it has a, a mix of a smell. Yeah. Um, so... As a police officer, I've smelt deceased people. Okay. So not any weird way. I, yeah. I, I know what that smell is like. And he was right. It, it smelt like that, but it also had like this pungent odor, like um, like uh, rotting eggs. Like sulfur. Sulfur. Okay. Rotting eggs. Like someone farted. Uh, yes. Okay. And a mix of like... When a dirty dog gets wet. Okay. Wet dog. Wet dog. This is like the deodorant from Monsters, Inc. It's like, you want wet dog today? You want <laughs> rotten eggs? Some, I, yeah. I guess. I, I haven't seen that. So, but um, like a combination of those yeah. three. And, and it was like right up on us. Huh. And, and we were walking around looking to find a carcass of a deer or, or something that yeah. was there. And we looked for about 45 minutes and we couldn't find anything. And... We moved away from that location and about 10 minutes later, we could start smelling it again. I was like, what the hell, you know, it, yeah. it, the wind, there was no wind that day. So, uh, well, it, was, it must've been like right next there, to you then. Yeah, there was wind, but it, it was so minute that it couldn't have caused all that to, to come where we were. And, um, so I, I was collecting the soil samples and then I think I was running some other something else. And, uh, I, I lost track because I, I could smell it for so long. I just quit thinking about it because I, I was getting what I needed to do. And maybe another half hour went by and I, I was like, that smell's gone. It's not around anymore. It's yeah. like, That's weird. If there was a dead carcass somewhere, it should continue to smell like that. So I was like, okay, now this is interesting. So uh, we went around and we looked and in that area of Skinwalker Ranch in this property, there is so much debris that it's piled about eight or nine feet, just dead branches, dead trees, mm. just maybe a hundred years, nothing has been moved. It's just built up wow. over, it has to at least have been a hundred years, just eight or nine feet. Couldn't locate anything, never thought about it again. Went home, uh, did my thing. Six weeks later, I get a phone call. Uh, from this group that does cryptic investigations, uh, Bigfoot. And they uh, were on this property. They spent, uh, I believe it was two nights there, and they had uh, Native American trackers with them. And the, the guy starts, he's like, you know, Mr. Keenan, hey, I got to talk to you about this. And, and he's just rambling on, and I don't even know who it is yet. 
It's like, wow, we had that we were on this ranch, and they said that you were there, and we found these hairs, and and then he's going on and on. I was like, well, hold on, hold on, you know, let me catch up. And then he goes, well, here's what I want to ask you. He's like, uh, did you have this, this, and this smell? And I was like, well, yeah. You, he goes, yeah. We we spoke with the security. They were there with them as well. And I said, yeah, that's absolutely. He goes, well, that's what a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch smells like. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So apparently I smelt what a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch smells like. How do they, how do they know what a Bigfoot smells like? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they, I guess from so many uh, observations, that's what they're stating. It yeah. smells like. Um, as far as I know, it hasn't been proven. So yeah. but that's what they were telling me that that's what I smelled. And I just thought it was interesting because, again, if something had died, that smell should have continued in that location. And I realized after a while that I had forgotten. I was like, wait a minute, smells gone. But yeah, interesting. So is that where your interest in Bigfoot started was from that experience? So uh, I, I'm not, uh, when I wrote the book, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, I, it's a trilogy. The first one was a UFO and an alien. The second is a shapeshifter scare. And the third is Bigfoot at Skinwalker Ranch. Mm. And what I'm attempting to do is I'm, creating fiction for children uh, in the ages of 10 to 14, where I wanted to introduce them to the topics that are in ufology, cryptozoology, and the paranormal. Um, So I I don't necessarily really have this uh, huge desire to track or hunt down any cryptids. And it's it's not really my thing. Um, If it were to occur, absolutely. And I could, you know, capture something sure why not but what i wanted to do was uh present to kids um in a standpoint of a story that also has a moral uh, that goes along with it and all that um and and terminology that is used but just kind of uh pick the subject matter that's becoming of great interest to me or is of interest to me, yeah. um, which is ufology, because I think that, like I, we said earlier, so much of this comes together yeah, uh, because we're just not aware of yet. Is Ufology is, is one of those interesting conspiracies that seems to try to take the take the blame for everything. Oh, yeah. Who killed JFK is because he wanted to expose the aliens like aliens sure. are the the backstory to everything. If you're like deep into the ufology, I guess. I'm curious, like, what is the connection um, between ufology and Skinwalker Ranch and even Bigfoot? I've seen some people making that connection, too. Right. So the ranch was known as the UFO Ranch before it was Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, there was a school teacher that uh, I think he was even doing it while he was a teacher out there. His last name was Hicks. For over 50 years, he uh, documented in, uh, incidents and, and just... Uh, was amazing at going out and getting information from people um, and interviewing them. So for over this 50-plus period, there was this huge, huge amount of information on UFOs, UAP, uh, to the point where it became like a UFO alley, uh, one of the you know the highest sight scenes of seeing uh, unidentified flying objects. And... Uh, other events, orbs taking place, and then um, the Native Americans talking about, uh, you know, the Navajo, the Inalbushi that are supposedly there that uh, 
are also of this paranormal type uh, events occurring. What is that word? The what did you say? Uh, so a skinwalker in Navajo is Yinadlushi. That that's what they're really called. Okay. Um, they're shapeshifters that practice uh, dark witchcraft, which is at Ishkash. So is this is a skinwalker essentially uh, um, a person who shapeshifts into uh, a creature? Yes. So they're capable of shapeshifting into anything. Uh, but that being said, their preference supposedly when you you ask from uh, the Navajo are several uh, animals. Um, they prefer, the, you know, the wolf, the coyote, uh, bear, uh, some type of bird, things of that nature. But apparently they can even supposedly shapeshift into half creature, half animal, half human at the same time. Hmm. And um, this is what gets observed quite a bit here in Arizona on the Navajo Nation or other, other reservations. Um, and because of the fact that the Ute defeated the Navajo in that area and pushed them out, uh, they were supposedly cursed um, with the skinwalker uh, that it was going to be there and forever with them. But that never made sense to me because the skinwalker are pretty self-centered. They're doing it for themselves. And mm. I could never understand why they would do this for the Navajo when they're pretty much against everybody. So um, currently I've built up different uh, opinions as to what the skinwalkers or shapeshifters are in the area, but I can't discuss that yet. You can't discuss no. what your opinion is? What, what Yeah, what they are, it, but it'll come out soon. Okay. Interesting. So when you talk to the, the Navajo and these Indian tribes, um, you said you've interviewed some, some of these tribes, right? Yes. Well, from the tribe, some Okay. people from the tribe. When you talk to these people, um, obviously we're, it's almost like we're on the outside and they're on the inside when we're talking about these things, right? Do they speak as if they have witnessed these things with their eyes or is this kind of like folklore for them too? It's so like Santa Claus. Sure. So it's both. So you got to remember for them that uh, this isn't a big deal. This is just everyday life for them. Um, the star people for them are just a part of their culture. It, to them, the folklore and the mythology is not folklore and mythology. It's history. Mm. And that's the issue that we have. You know, we're like, well, how? That can't be it. it yeah. We can't wrap our head around that. But for them, um, it's just part of what's occurred always. And so it's been passed down to them uh, mm. historically. And uh, a lot of them have witnessed or taken part or had something occur to them. So you're getting firsthand and you're getting historical data. Um, from some people, it's both. From others, it's uh, history. And then from another group, it's firsthand experience. Interesting. I mean, I, it's like... What fascinates me is the fact that people like you and I who are not on the inside of some of these tribes, the people who I've met who are into paranormal things oftentimes have experienced something that they can't explain, um, which, is, which is fascinating because like when I meet you, like you're a normal guy, when I meet, for example, my, my, one of my buddies who's been on the podcast before, his girlfriend has experienced the same type of entity as I have. And it's like, 
I, I can understand where you're coming from as like, sometimes you, you hesitate to almost talk about it because you don't want people to not take you as seriously. Like even for me, like this is a big step for me to have a podcast like this talking about paranormal stuff because I have a business that, you know, fuels my entire life outside of this podcast. And that's completely separate from, from paranormal. And I wonder like, oh crap, do I want to be talking about this stuff online and stuff too? But it's like, at the end of the day, when you look at the evidence, which is these people are from all different backgrounds. They're reporting the same types of things. Like when you say the petroglyphs, you see the same types of drawings in different parts of the world geographically. And it's like, there has to be something there. Why do you think it is that there's so much resistance for the mainstream or just people who are so tapped into the mainstream to even entertain these ideas. Sure. So I, I think there's a few things. I think one of them is science. You know, we're pushed uh, from the media, from school, that science is fact and you can't stray from it. It's the way it is. And religion is wrong. It, you <laughs> yeah. can't have two. But technically, I mean, science has become a religion. When you look at what makes up religion, it's the same, the same things are now occurring in science. So that's one. So people are uh, afraid to go against what they think they know. Um, the second is like you and I, you know, discussing something like that. Am I going to have a job the next day? Or uh, are you going to be made fun of? Um, you know, you're not going to be taken seriously ever again. Mm. Uh, and for a scientist to even cross over a little bit into the paranormal is a career ender most of the time, you know, because to his buddies and to his peers, he's lost all credibility uh, that because he's gone against the paradigm they've created. Mm. Uh, and they're obviously afraid. And I understand for good reason, you know, if something so drastic were to change, um, they're going to lose their livelihood They're, You know, the grants are going to stop. They're not going to be able to teach what they were taught because it's not right. Um, and, and then I think that the, the other, the other thing is, uh, growing up as, as children, you know, we're allowed to have this active imagination, um, and be able to do or talk whatever way we want. And then suddenly at some point, maybe around the age of eight or nine, 10, we're suddenly starting to have our culture that we're in change us to adulthood. And with adulthood in this culture, we're not allowed to think outside the box. We're not allowed to think silly things that something could be a ghost or uh, extraterrestrial or that something could be inside the earth living yeah. when we're living on top of it. It just, it, it, it can't be. Yeah. So you have all these different uh, things colliding and just making it more and more difficult. Um, the good thing is recently this ball is starting to roll downhill and it's gaining momentum in the mainstream, uh, in the mainstream, especially with, uh, and I hate using the word disclosure because I don't even know what that is anymore. You know, I've heard disclosure 20 years ago and then disclosure yeah. 10 years ago and disclosure four years ago. And, um, 
Sometimes I think if there's disclosure for some people, they may not have a, a job. I mean, what does disclosure even look like? I, yeah, exactly. You know? I don't know. But I feel like we had disclosure recently, you know, like with, uh, didn't you, did you see the article where, uh, Jeremy Corbell, who is, has a documentary about Skinwalker Ranch, he released some footage that was confirmed on, what was it like CNN or something where they had these pyramid shaped UFOs that were captured by Navy cameras. Did you see, hear yeah, about that? In the, in the infrared? Yeah. Yeah. What do you make of that? Um, uh, and th this is what I mean, we're, we're talking about is uh, as it comes more into the media um, and it's becoming more and more accepted that there's other possibilities, whatever that is, who knows? Yeah. Uh, again, it's unidentified for a reason. The military is now accepting the fact and letting the public know, okay, we've come across this too. We're kind of concerned. I have an article in my uh, lectures that is from, I believe, 2009. Uh, it's almost towards the end of my lectures on Skinwalker Ranch that states that there was a UFO tracked on the basin. The media contacted NORAD and NORAD said, yeah, we're aware of it. We don't know what it was. We're trying to get information so we can get it out to you. And then it just dropped. There was no mm -hmm. more discussion about it. But I mean, back in 2009, you have NORAD being contacted and saying, yeah, we, we tracked it. We just have no clue yet. So there it was too in 2009. It just yeah. got forgotten. Have you seen a UFO yourself? Um, I can't really discuss what I've seen in that regards. Why is that? Yeah. Uh, again, just due to the fact that it, things uh, until maybe the end of the summer. Got it. Um, do you feel, I guess for me, I guess part of what fascinates me about the UFOs is let's say, okay, there are pyramid shaped UFOs flying over these Navy ships or there are unidentified flying saucers and maybe a flying saucer really did land in Roswell. Right. But I've heard theories about the Nazis specifically from, uh, Tom DeLong, who's one of the bigger names that is helping getting these things released in the mainstream, which I would say to a lot of people probably adds credibility that maybe some of what he says might be true. Who knows to the extent, but one of his theories was like, he said he believes that Roswell was the Nazis. And then I go down the rabbit hole of like, well, how could that humanly be possible? And then you look into things like, okay, maybe the Nazis fled to Antarctica. And then you also have big populations of the Nazis in South America. And maybe they were doing things with the occult and maybe they did have flying saucer technology. Do you believe that even if you saw a UFO, that's evidence that it's from another planet or solar system, or is it possible that it's interdimensional or humans? Sure. Uh, and again, it could be any of that. It could be interdimensional, uh, which I think is a good possibility over it coming from, uh, you know, outside of the planet. Um, could it be from our own planet, just from somewhere we don't know exist? Uh, is there an entrance? that we're unaware of that goes into the, the center of the planet. You know, I mean, this planet's huge on the inside and we have no idea really what it is. Again, science tells us, oh, this is what it, but yeah. they really have no idea. They haven't been down inside. We've only gone, what, like at the most, like 12 miles drilled. 
Yeah, and what yeah, is that yeah. like? Not even like a, it's a not front. even a scratch. Yeah, in the oceans. I mean, we've we've done more um, visitation outside of this planet than we've done. Well, excuse me, more exploring outside of this planet that we've done in our oceans. And, and you know, seventy percent of the outer part of this planet is water. You know, so I mean. It, it, there's many possibilities of where this could have come. Yeah. And, and then, so when you ask me if I've seen a UFO, I, I almost classify things differently uh, between an orb, but I guess technically an orb is an unidentified yeah. flying object. So have you seen orbs? So and here's what we're going to okay. get into. So what I've seen up on the Uinta base, and I've also seen in the superstition uh, mountains and that's nearby, right? That's very okay. close to us. Uh, where I live, it's only a 20-minute drive. Okay. So it got me to thinking, uh, are these objects light or are they solid Solid objects? Mm. Is it a tangible item that could be touched? Yeah. Uh, and if I were to videotape something, nobody believes you anymore. Yeah. I, I, I could put anything on... And even I don't believe what I see because, you know, it could be photoshopped or whatever. I'm terrible with software, but other people are amazing and they could create it or make it up. And so I, I am trying to think out of the box of a different way. Well, as a police officer, I used to use radar uh, to catch people speeding. Mm. Uh, so I went out and I purchased a KA band uh, police radar stalker gun and a LIDAR laser stalker gun. Uh, which I've had training in, um, been certified in, and understand that, uh, you know, that they operate, uh, the KA band operates at a pretty high, uh, I think it's like 32 to 38 band. Uh, um, I think it's in the, the gigahertz level. I think it's 32 to 38 gigahertz. Uh, and then LIDAR is almost instant because it's firing uh you know, light that's traveling so quickly that people with the radar detector can't even, it's done. If you're caught, you're caught. So I thought, what way to find out if uh, it's light or if it's a solid object? Use radar. So I went out, uh, this is recent too, this is within the last uh, six months, went out to the superstitions where I had seen um, these orbs several times. And I've also seen orbs in Marfa when I lived in Texas. Okay. Um, went out there quite a quite a few times, nothing, nothing, nothing. So it's not like I went out the first time and boom, it happened. Yeah. I went out there a lot um, and did other things too while I was out there. Uh, you know, not just this, but it was always there ready to go if I had the opportunity. Well, much later after going and going and spending a lot of time wasting gas pretty much because yeah. that was my main focus. Yeah. Um, the rest was to keep myself occupied. <laughs> uh, I saw uh, the orange orb, an orange orb that I'd been waiting to see. Good size, probably the size of a basketball. Uh, to the to the viewpoint that to you the were viewpoint at. that okay. I was at. So, so in the sky, it's like, oh, that's a basketball. Right. Okay. And, and radar is going to tell me if it's a solid object, how far away it is. Okay. And this was part of my wanting to try this. So I grabbed the LiDAR gun first and uh, turned it on. And sure enough, clocked the orb at 11 miles per hour. And it was at 400, or, uh, 400 plus feet. 
So suddenly I knew that's not just a light, it's a solid object. So if it was a light orb or like electricity, it would not get picked up on radar. Right. Okay. It, it, it had a surface that uh, the laser impacted and then shot back at the gun. Got it. And I was picking up uh, it moving at 11 miles per hour, casually. Basically just hovering. Hovering. Okay. Real slow moving. Didn't care that I was scanning it with the, the was radar. Was it just a solid color or were there orbs inside of it at all? It, it was orange. I, I didn't have my glasses and I, my, poor, my eyesight is getting worse and worse as I Got it. get older and older. Uh, it looked orange to me. Okay. Um, not like the sun or something like that. Uh, so you know for a fact it was about 400 feet. 400 plus feet. Okay. And moving at 11, uh, as fast as 11 miles per hour. At other times it dropped. So I put the LiDAR gun down and I grabbed the KA gun. Um, what's fantastic about the stalker is in order to catch people speeding, it leaks. It leaks. So that's what people catch on their radar. And they know the police officer is there. The newer guns have what's called pop, which means it's completely off. You pop it and it comes on instantly and gives person less time to react and slow down. So what I did was I had it already set up, aimed at it, and I popped the orb. It started going crazy. Um, it was dropping down and up. I clocked it as fast as 44 miles per hour. Um, going down to, I, I, and I don't remember, I have it written down how low it went to the deck, but it would have gone up as high as about 600 feet, uh, maybe just slightly over. And it did not like the fact that I was hitting it at this range, this, this frequency range of, uh, probably, like I said, in that 32 to 38 range and gave me confirmation that at least this orb that I saw had a physical uh, form to it, shape to it. And uh, and it was reacting, reacting to Reacting to me with a certain type of frequency. That's fascinating. Um, immediately when I hear about, you know, your experience with this orb, uh, I can't help but think about one of my good friends who, I'll be honest, was not interested in the topic of UFOs. And it was like, it's like if I was hanging out with three people like this or whatever, and we're talking about it. He's just the guy who's like, yeah, whatever, you know. And he ends up hearing about a, a, an orb sighting in California because he follows an influencer on like Instagram. And then he's in Scottsdale, in camp, like by Camelback Mountain in a big neighborhood, right? And he's telling these people, like, oh yeah, there was apparently a UFO sighting in California. As he's talking about it, this is last March of 2020, um, right by Camelback Mountain. There's eight or nine people there. And he literally sees an orb pop up in the sky right above them. And all of them are looking at this orb. So they bring out their phones, their sky tracker apps, the star trackers, and they're realizing this is not a star because there should not be a star there. And he's filming it on his camera. And I screen recorded it on my phone because he put it on his Instagram story. And it, to me, I can see two, uh, an orb, but inside it is a smaller orb and they're concentric. And I don't know if they're spinning, but it looks like there's movement of the orb that's just hovering there. But then as he's staying there, just holding the camera still, the thing zips, zips, and it shrinks down and then gets bigger and then shrinks down again. And then it cha changes to like a seashell shape. And I'm only seeing this in retrospect because 
it it looks like the thing's just moving a little bit and it looks like camera shake, but I have it screen recorded and I'm going frame by frame. No, the thing shrinks, the thing pops up, the thing changes to a seashell, then it goes back to a sphere and I'm like, whoa. And nine people saw it. So what do you feel like this could have been a similar orb or a same type of craft, if you will? You know, what's interesting too is a lot of people have a theory on that. If we think of something to a point or a degree, are we the ones that are creating the paranormal event? You just blew my mind. <laughs> Talk and, about, tell me. Well, yeah. So think about people um, aren't interested in something mm. and, and then something happens to a friend or they see something that interests them and then that same type of event occurs or happens to them. Skinwalker Ranch is very bizarre. Uh, it, it, it's hard to it, it's hard to admit that something else around you knows what you're doing or thinking, but it, it, it's it makes you have to be open minded to the fact that are we possibly creating the events that we're seeing? And if so, does it require uh, an energy source, whether it be natural, something under the basin, or man-made that we're just not aware of that's been there? Or is it the fact that, I mean, we're walking batteries that we don't understand really how we, I mean, we know how our physical bodies function to a degree, but, you know, what gives us the ability to have thought and to understand and to capture memories um, and to see things, you know? And what we see now, do we have the possibility of seeing in a broad, broader spectrum mm. once we start thinking about it? So are we creating it or are we allowing ourselves the ability to... Um, gather more data when we open up some way mm. so that i mean that's interesting that you know your friend saw something he's talking about it and then suddenly it happens yeah that it was manifested potentially you know, potentially yeah and, and this is another thing that then goes into the paranormal are, are certain things light are certain things uh ha have an actual physical uh, body to them and, and do we control one or the other or neither but i just thought that was interesting when you said that because that's an ongoing theory that's catching on as to are we creating our own paranormal huh that is a very interesting way to think about it i think for me when i'm i, I love to play the devil's advocate and I always try to, because I think that's the best way you can gain understanding scientifically is like trying to trying to disprove it in a way, right? And so, um, one fascinating thing, and I've talked about this on previous podcasts, but I'd be curious to get your opinion, um, and, and specifically because, like, I guess where where does the whole portal event is that an accurate term to describe things that you research? Like, what what describe portals to me? Like that that whole concept seems foreign to me. Sure. Yeah. So from what uh, we're starting to gather uh, or be privy to and um, a portal 
I don't know if it's interdimensional and, and then we have to go into what is interdimensional or is it um, a, a capability of a transference from one part of the planet to another or elsewhere? Mm. I don't know. Or, or are there multiples? Or is, or is it something where a space-time, uh, there's a collapse in the past, present, and the future are all occupying the same space at one time? And, and I'll get to that in a second. But there has to, there has to be some type of energy available. Uh, and I say that because um, where I believe they happen the most, and I have to watch what I say here, um, there obvi there's obviously some type of energy that we're unaware of at that location. And, and this goes past Skinwalker Ranch. And that comes from your ability to make magnetic readings and stuff, right? Magnetic, electromagnetic, okay. yes. Um, does gravity, uh, you know, people say, well, electromagnet electromagnetism and gravity aren't supposed to interact, but maybe they do. And we're just not quite understanding exactly how, but some type of energy is gathering, uh, which allows for this or these events to take place. And I, I call it an event because uh, we really aren't sure what it is, where it goes. But now think about this and, and, it, have you read uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker, the book? No, I have not. Okay, so think about if you've talked about Skinwalker Ranch or read it, they've seen this large wolf that I've heard about the shot, wolf. Yeah. and it didn't even phase it. It, it just kind of looked at them, and then they got closer and closer, and then they started phasing it more to where it knew it was interacting with that person shooting it, but it wasn't doing what we would expect it to do. Or suddenly we see this creature that kind of looks like a dinosaur, I guess, come out of nowhere. Or then we suddenly see this. Have you personally seen the skinwalker or a dinosaur? No, no. Okay. These are what are listed in, in the hunt for skinwalker uh, occurring or what other people have stated they've seen. Um, or then uh, in Hunt for the Skinwalker, they see this, uh, this creature, dark creature, come out of a portal and walk away on the ranch. And a portal it looks literally just like a little spinning thing. That no, this is goes on. Okay. It's, it's on the ground. Well, just slightly above the ground. Not like you would see it like in, in uh, lengthwise, but more, more uh, on the ground, mm. just barely above it. Does it emit any light? So they said it admitted uh, a specific color. And as a matter of fact, without infrared uh, camera that they were using, it just was the light that one individual could see. The person with the infrared was able to see the entity come out. Mm. So it sounds like when you think about it, that we have this cre these creatures that might sound like something that existed in the past, and then one that maybe is in the future that we're not aware of, all of a sudden on the same spot, but only interacting to a certain degree. So what this sounds like to me is we have this collapse of space-time where the past, present, and the future have all come together in one location. 
And that's what creates the portal. That's what, well, the, the port, yes, exactly. That's okay. what creates this portal. So if there's something next to it, doesn't realize goes into it or walks within this vicinity, it's suddenly not in its own spot, but it's in all three. Physically, it's mostly in its location, wherever it's occurring in the past, present, or the future. But now it's partly occurring in our present on the ranch. Mm. It's like a fold in the space-time. fold in space-time. So if we were to see a dire wolf from 8,000 years ago that was in that area, suddenly in our present, and it sees these bovine in a corral, and it's curious because it's never seen bovine before, and it walks up to it casually, and it sees humans, and it allows a human to touch Touch it on the nose. Nothing, because it's still in its own, and it doesn't know what the heck's going on. But then it suddenly smells partly because it's part in our existence and attacks the bovine. That individual pulls out its gun and shoots it. It's not completely in our existence. So it is aware that it's been shot, but it doesn't affect it. Now you get closer. So you're getting closer to its location. And you fire again, and it feels it a little more. And you get a little closer, and you fire again, and it rips a piece of your the flesh off of the dire wolf. So now it's like, wait a minute, that that shouldn't have happened to the creature. So it starts taking off. Now all of a sudden, whatever caused the space time to fold on itself goes back. Let's say it's a magnetic force, and that magnetic force in either the past, present, or the future goes back to its normal value and that portal starts dissipating everything starts going back here here and here Mm. we see this dire wolf walking off and then it's just gone where did it go it was always there it was just in a different time but it existed in the same space for those brief moments that something whether it's electromagnetic gravitational magnetic or to a combination or a combination of all three had a cause caused this to form and and create this effect. So is this happening in certain parts of the world where people have witnessed it? And after thinking about it for a very long time, it, it, this makes so much sense that then you suddenly see this creature come out of this portal. Maybe it's from the future and we don't know what the heck it is because it exists in that spot just much later, but it happened to be in that location. What happens if maybe we are walking along on Skinwalker Ranch and the event occurs and it compresses? And we don't know that. It's compressing right down because it's underground, this magnetic meteorite. Maybe there's a huge meteorite under that and, and something is passing through it at this moment causing this to occur. And it creates the fold or the collapse. Boom, and it comes down on you. And you're still walking on the ranch, but suddenly the ranch looks a little different. And you look around and suddenly you see uh, this creature that's part whatever that looks like a dinosaur. And you're like, what the hell? You know, what's going on? And you think it's there on the ranch. But what if it's the fact that you've now crossed partway into the past Mm. at that location? Yeah. You know, that makes more sense. I have a couple questions. Sure. So um, 
I've heard that example of that incident with the 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 wolf. Um and they talk about that as if that's the skinwalker, right? Um did was there actually a piece of it that got shot off? They said a flesh was uh, torn off of it. Did they, they fire. grab it? Did research? I, I don't remember that part. Okay. And then with the portal part, let's say hypothetically, okay, it's time space folding in on itself, right? And it creates this uh, point in space time where the past, present, and future can exist all at once at one point in space. Um, would the wolf have to go back to that same exact point before it goes away to go back? Or is the wolf itself the thing that is in in the different points in space? See, and, and that's the point that I made when I said they see it trotting off and then it just disappears. Because how big of a, a spot does it affect and how much of you are transferred or physically elsewhere at that time because technically you're still 100% in the same area. Mm. Just a part of what we don't understand has changed. So, oh, so it space, could be like a big geographic Yeah, the part. space is the same, just time was altered. Or maybe it's the opposite. Mm. Something opposite has occurred. But yeah, when you you try to think, you know, yeah. how is that even possible and and you're you're like you think about it more and it has to be that we know that these that creature could easily existed in the past we we know what a dire wolf was it was about that size so and then they they see these things that look kind of sort of like a dinosaur or something well i mean they existed do we know much about the demeanor of a dire wolf is it something that would normally be friendly to a, a weird thing well see and that's the point because the way it reacted was initially it walked up to the bovine didn't attack it because it didn't know what the hell it was mm. it doesn't have bovine in yeah. its time same with humans wasn't it walking on two feet as well well i think that was a different no this one okay. was on all fours they thought it was just a very large wolf when they approached it okay and were allowed to touch it because it was still trying to figure out what it you know what yeah. they were what the hell is going on you know a minute ago i was chasing some other Mm. you know, lunch. And now suddenly this is right here in front of me, walking right. up to me. Have there been experiences from people on Skinwalker Ranch researching and feeling like they were not in their current time? I don't know if, so nothing that I know, but I don't know if we would even know that because think about it. If it suddenly collapsed on us mm. and we were in a different time, we wouldn't, we would still think that we're in our same location you know, how much of our surroundings would change. So when suddenly an individual sees what looks like an RV out in the middle of the fields of Skinwalker Ranch with this seven and a half foot tall, all clad in dark humanoid looking person in there, you know, in what looks to be an RV and then suddenly sees her and is staring at her and then she's, you know, what the, what's going on? Did she cross elsewhere? Did they cross together? Cause he wasn't fully aware of her. Wait, so this was a real, is, is this a this real is example? In hunt, yeah, this okay. is in Hunt for the Skinwalker. So what was this, the RV and the dark figure inside? Yes, yeah, so the, the owner's wife um, 
stated that she saw this was before a bunch of researchers came over yes this was in 1994 or 95 okay yeah i mean this is what got nids involved was all these strange occurrences yeah when you think about it she suddenly becomes aware at some point that what the hell is this rv doing in the middle of our field Mm. and then at some point this tall creature that maybe it looks like it could be from the future or maybe it's from the past like i said lost civilization suddenly realize sees her home and her and they're both kind of confused. Mm. So, and did they did, so did the dark thing in the RV look, did the RV look relevant to the time period? Do you, do you know that? So she describes it as an RV cause that's the only thing she can describe it as. Um, again, you know, like in the past when they, if they saw things flying around and looked like a cross, what would you yeah. Carve into the stone a cross, right? right? Doesn't necessarily mean it was a could cross. have been an airplane. Could have been an airplane. Yeah. They just don't know it. Could yeah. an airplane from our present have suddenly crossed without even mm. knowing? Because it's not fully. It's not suddenly going to stay in the past. Yeah. Because three past, present, future come together and then come back apart. Yeah. So what are they seeing? But think about it. We're seeing all this strange activity. Thousands of years ago from the Barrier Canyon style culture. And they're not putting what they should be putting, you know, like uh, having barbecues and, yeah. and, you know, your family. And then what's also interesting is when they do sometimes do drawings of animals, it looks like things are coming down at the animals and the animals are scattering or running away from it. So huh. that's another interesting thing. But I mean, we could talk for hours yeah. about what the petroglyphs show. I guess one thing that I'm starting to realize is I guess if you're talking about a portal event, that doesn't always necessarily mean interdimensional. It just could be mean a collapse of space time, right? It, we don't know exactly what it is. I mean, and then there could be, like I said, different types of portals or events occurring. Um, there could be ones where uh, it's extraterrestrial. It could be space time. It could be interdimensional because I don't know anybody that yeah has gone into other dimensions that i can go and you know yeah uh, that can legitimately prove you know it, it's it's all personal experiences and you can gather just so much personal experience and stories and as the person taking that you're like man th- th- this is so similar here and similar there they don't know who they are but you find the similarities but again that's what it is it's it's their firsthand experiences and until we're able to have like the film crew there and capture something that just changes the way everybody's thinking. Same thing, you know, disclosure. I don't even know what that is because yeah. how much proof does a person need until the spaceship pulls up above us and beams down and, right. you know, says, hey, we're, we're you from know, your relatives from Mars. Yeah. You know, here we are, you know, until that happens, nobody, they're not, and it's still, still people probably won't believe it. Yeah, because the it's they'll a video. Think it was, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll think it it's being staged. You know, the 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 media is this is a prank. Yeah, you know, one thing. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, and I'm curious to ask you about. But one one uh, event that happened to me that I was, um, you know, kind of got us on this tangent to begin with. That going back to, I want to play the devil's advocate, but this one. I really struggled to wrap my head around and the only explanation I've currently come up with is it has to be interdimensional 
Um, and here's, here, here's what kind of happened to me is like, I hadn't thought about this probably for years because it was something that happened to me in high school. And it was kind of one of those things that I was too embarrassed to tell anybody. And I didn't tell anybody, but it was a recurring event for me. And even as I grew up, I maybe in my memory had repressed it because I, I would try to find a logical explanation or something. And I almost to this day still wonder like, huh, did that really happen? Like, or is it my memory playing tricks on me? But I was kind of going looking for a movie to watch on Amazon Prime. And this picture stands out immediately to me. And then it's a documentary called The Hat Man or something about The Hat Man. Have you heard about The Hat Man? Yes. Okay, very interesting. My, my first book is called Dark Shadows and Catastrophe for a reason. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to tell you my experience <laughs> with The Hat Man. Um, I was... I, so I moved to a house at the Lake of the Ozarks with my parents. Um, and I'm getting goosebumps talking about this, right? When I saw the documentary, it gave me goosebumps and I turned it on. And in the first five minutes, I had to turn it off because it was so true to what I experienced to where someone who hadn't experienced it probably sees this and goes, this is bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Right. But when I was, all right, so I moved to the South House of Lake, Lake of those Arcs and this house, you know, cause these, it's like very like woody area, right? There's a lot of trees and our house was built on like a steep hill and it goes down to the dock by the water. Meaning that my bedroom, which even though it's in the basement is like 20 feet off the ground, you know? And so when I'm, when we went there to visit at first, my family loved the house so much. It was like, oh my God, this is a perfect house. So we got this stock. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't this how horror movies start? Like everybody's so happy. <laughs> and then we move in and shit goes crazy, right? And so in my head, I started to become a little bit skeptical. And so we go back up to the house and we're in the basement. Everybody and I got two step siblings and we're picking out the bedrooms of where we'd stay. And I, I've had paranormal experiences or just experiences I can't explain from when I was a child to where I... I know that I can walk into a room and if I feel a, a weight or a heaviness or like a, I can feel in a bad type of energy and I don't want to be in that room. And it's weird because like the moment you leave the room is the moment like you feel the sense of relief. Um, and it, you almost said the same thing about with your experience with like the faces in the wood, like you walk in and it feels heavy. Um, I got that feeling in this house, but only when I went into the, the bedroom at the end of the hallway in the basement and I said, Hey, if we move here, just don't make me stay in that bedroom at the end of the hallway. I feel safe in this bedroom. I want this bedroom. Well, sure enough, we move in several months later. They, the stepmother tells me, I can't have this bedroom. You get that bedroom. The one bedroom I didn't want. And so the first night we're staying there, I turn off the, the TV. There's a TV in there. Turn it off. And I see what looks to be like a, a figure just standing there in the in the window, but this window has just, you can see this trees back, but it's 20 feet off the ground, you know? And it looks like it's just standing there with a top hat. And I don't really think much of it there. And this is like probably over the course of like months that this has happened or a couple weeks. And sometimes I'll have experiences during the day where I'm on the other level, the level above, and I'll be like turning my, like just turning or something. And in the corner of my eyes, see the window, a hatted figure just walks across the window that also happens to be like 15 feet off the ground. And I'm like, wait, did I really see that? But then I confirm it at night when the TV's on, there's lights in the room. I don't see anything. Turn off the light. And I see the set, the figure just standing there in the window, the silhouette. And I don't know what to make of it. 
but I feel scared, but at the same time, it's not moving. And that was kind of the conclusion. It's not moving. It's just standing there. So if I just sleep with the TV on, um, whatever. So I did this for years, probably from 15 to 18. Every night I went to bed. If I turned off the light, I could see the silhouette and I would always feel a negative energy in that room. I didn't like being in that room period, but I would go to sleep in there. And honestly, looking back on that experience, the first time I ever had sleep paralysis was in that basement and I would see like shadows in the stairway or something like that. Um, I don't know if that's related to this, but I always had the vibe that if I tried to tell someone about this and tried to show it to them, it wouldn't show itself. I got that feeling, if you will. Well, anyways, for about three years of constantly verifying. And when I talk about verifying, I mean, I would go out and outside in the middle of the day and I would study the trees to see if there's any way it could cast a shadow that looks someone like that. And it wasn't common that I would see it crossing in the middle of the day, like in the, out of the corner of my eye, but it was common enough to where it lined up with me seeing this thing every freaking night. And, um, so when I was a senior in high school, I decided to test this theory and I tried to tell my friend and I went there middle of the day, it, the shadows were dark enough from the trees where in the middle of the day, I could still see it when I turn off the light. So I turn off the light, I verify that it's there. And I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to test if I can show it to someone else. And so, uh, I tell my friend, I was like, Hey Bobby, so this is going to sound crazy, but I want to tell you something. I told him the story. I was like, so I want to show it to you. I want to try, but I have a feeling that it might not be there when I try to show it to you. Um, so he's like, all right. So we go back up. And five minutes prior, I had confirmed that it was still there. Now I try to show it to him. It's not there. And I haven't seen it since until I saw the Hatman documentary. Well, here's another thing that kind of ties into this. Recently, one of my friends who moved here from Seattle, he and uh, his girlfriend, they moved here together. And we were hanging out one, one day as like my girlfriend and uh, and us four is like a double date type of thing. And I was, at, I was bringing up paranormal stuff. I was like, have you guys ever experienced anything you can't explain? Right. And she says, oh yeah, I've seen a ghost. I've seen an apparition, which is a separate thing when I was seven full body apparition, but I've also seen the hat man, which is probably more like my teenage years. Right. And I didn't even know it was called the hat man until I saw the documentary. And she's like, yeah, it like had this top hat and it would, I would see like this shadow. I didn't really think anything of it. Cause she called it a ghost. She called it an apparition. She didn't call it a shadow. And, um, I randomly decided to DM her like a couple months ago. I was like, Hey, is this a picture? Cause that's the thing is like, when you see the picture of the hat man on Google images, you know what I like, which one is the real one. Cause it looks verbatim, the exact outline shape as what I saw to the detail. And I sent her the one that I saw that verbatim looks exactly what, like what I saw. And her response says everything. Oh my God, that's exactly what I saw. That's exactly the top hat. And what's crazy is she just saw it. Her mom had seen it and her mom had gotten sexually assaulted by this thing, which I'm like, Whoa. And in my opinion, if I'm thinking what you were saying earlier, like, maybe we manifest our own paranormal. I could see maybe like, oh, that had to have been like a crazy ghost or whatever. But the hat man is something I can't explain. And the only explanation that logically makes sense to me is this has to be an interdimensional being. And maybe the hat trench coat is like the tool that allows them to access this dimension. Well, what's your take on that? What is your experience with the hat man? Well, no, none with the hat man. Okay. But, uh, 
similar experience. That's why listening to you, I'm a little, <laughs> but uh, I, I could understand something like that, that it would require maybe some type of technology for it to occur. And so many people have seen the similarity and you got to think, you, you know, if you haven't had it happen to you, what the hell is it doing with the hat on? Yeah. You know, why? Uh, what were you drinking or smoking, you know, to, to, to see a ghost with a hat or a shadow with a hat? And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. And remember, when we're talking about paranormal, there's got to be multiple different things that occur, take place. Uh, the, the universe has been around for too long, and, and we're here for just a... Uh, not even a blink of an eye when you, you think about it. So uh, we're absolutely not aware of everything or, or, or everyone uh, or every, uh, every place. But um, I, I mean, that, that, that's excellent, uh, you know, thought in regards to it being some type of technology uh, to be able to cross over or, or bend whatever or step through. However, whatever way it takes place, I had a similar, uh, and I, I think it's just due to the fact uh, that I had a near-death experience, um, that I was more open to it when I was, it started when I was four years old, and we had moved into a house in uh, La Habra, California. Uh, there was uh, the moment we walked into this house. My parents loved this house. It was on uh, a hillside. Uh, the whole area used to be um, Native American lands that there were there were many different uh, bands of Native Americans that lived in the area. And I mean, as a four year old that I had, you know, that doesn't come into thought and all that. And I'm pretty perceptive at the age of four and very good memory. And, and like I said, it, it's just due to the fact of what happened to me. I remember so much of everything in life. But at the age of four, I started having uh, paralysis and I had a shadow figure um, in my room and it was uh, never a full body. It, it, it was always missing the feet. But and years ago, when I lived in California, I started writing uh a book and it was going to be a uh, nonfiction about my experience. And I had named it the evil pan. Um, and I, I ended up getting divorced and all that. And in all the process of moving, I lost the four chapters that I had written. And I was so upset that I didn't write again until 2016. And then I decided to write it fictionally. But this entity was just a, it wasn't pitch black. It was to where I could I could tell it had a face, but I couldn't make out its exact uh, facial features. Uh, I, I, you could almost see when it smirked, it, it's change in uh, if it was angry or if it got excited. But it was it was a constant every night as uh, it, it would keep me from being able to move and just all kinds of things, and it became physical. I mean, to the point where uh, I was I was thrown up against the wall. Um, it, it was about four feet, four and a half feet tall. It looked like a shadow figure of a, a pan. Um, it had like a hunter's cap on. 
uh, instead of a long hat. And I've discussed this before. It's in my first book. Um, just obviously, I, 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 the, the, the character in the book is named Patrick because it's my middle name. Okay. Um, and, and I was horrified to go to sleep. I, I, there were days when I hadn't slept for a long time. You, you would tell your parents and they would, you know, I, I, I would scream. They'd force me to go to sleep. They'd have to sleep with me till I fell asleep. And it just kept going on for the whole time we were in this house. At some point, um, my sister was born and they put her in that room and moved me down to the end of the hall. And uh, I was horrified for my sister, but it still came over to where I was at. And it would always form in the closet. And it always looked like this dark mist would form before. And it would come out of what later on I realized was what I consider a portal and always dressed the same. It had that damn hunter's cap on. And this one night I see the, the entity come out at me. It looks at me and then it shoots down the hall into my parents' room. And a few seconds later, I start hearing screaming and everything. This thing finally went to my parents' bed and was shaking my father on the bed. My mom had got off and she was watching as my father was physically being tossed up and down on the bed by what they saw looked like this big shadowy bear, just a, 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 a figure of a, like a bear. It wasn't a bear, but it had the size and the kind of formation of something like that, but it didn't take full shape. Mm. That was the same thing that I saw exit the room as my shadow figure with the hunter's cap on. And then it uh, attacked my father. After that, they believed me, hmm. you know. And Had you told them about it before? Oh, every night. Yeah. I, I was horrified to go to bed. I, I would do absolutely anything I possibly could. They're like, you need to quit watching TV. You're not allowed to watch this. You're not allowed to watch that. And, you know, you could tell, like you said, you could tell them until you're blue in the face and they don't believe you until it finally happened to them. Yeah. And uh, soon after we moved and um, I actually had that figure. We moved here to um, Paradise Valley in 1979. One more time with that. And it interacted with my sister and I while we were playing in the middle of the afternoon one day. One more time when I was 15 years old. And I think at that time when I was 15, we lived in El Paso, Texas. So this is a different house. These are different houses. So it's like it followed. Do it, you think it followed you? I, I think it followed me. Um, but that final time when I was 15, I, I think I was getting to the point where I was just so angry and so frustrated with allowing it to just cause to the point where I couldn't move, you mm. know, and it could just do whatever that I, I consider what I fought back, you know, just kind of was like, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not going to allow it. And after that day, I, I've never had interaction with it in, in that form. So, I mean, I've had other strange things happen and I, I don't think that that was what was involved. But yeah, in regards to that, I always thought it was freaking weird that it had the same damn hat on all the time and it was a hunter's cap and it just, it always reminded me of an evil pan. What do you mean pan? Like a Peter pan. Like, oh, uh, got it. Uh, um, it looked like just this 
the do you hear the 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 legend behind what peter pan is supposed to represent no apparently and this is what my girlfriend told me she said that peter pan the truth behind that story is supposed to represent um peter is like representative of death and what he does is when he comes and takes all the children and they fly away with him but all the children really just die in their sleep yeah no i had no idea <laughs> now that now yeah <laughs> that is a interesting connection almost um but when you say when you say the hunter's cap it ironically reminds me of the time i saw a full body apparition and i think almost for content purposes i would like to go back to this place and do a paranormal investigation if I would be able to, but um, I'd be curious to know the history of this and I'll, I'll just kind of give you the cliff notes. But basically uh, when I was seven, I had a lot of paranormal experiences when I was a kid, I'll be honest. Um, I don't know why, but it's like when I was in first grade, <laughs> um, I was like, what are you like six years old in first grade? Well, we had a bunch of children's book in the books in this Christian, school I went to and it was an old building, but like, you know, every classroom has like a bunch of children's books for some reason, I'm a six year old kid and I'm, I pick out a book out of the, all the children's books. And it happens to be a book about paranormal investigating and like ghosts. Why is that in a first grade classroom to begin with? Right. <laughs> and so I'm reading this thing and it's, it's scaring me. I'm here. I'm reading stories about like seeing like someone sitting in your back seat and as you're looking in the rear view mirror and then you look back and there's nobody there. I, there, it, there was a chapter in this book where it talked about like, Hey, if you are crossing the, if you're walking down the street at night and you see a ghost on the other side of the street, uh, or on walking on the street cross to the other side, but also for protection, keep a piece of bread crust in your left pocket, like weird things like that, that I remember. And I don't know, maybe that was like the catalyst to me seeing stuff because when I was seven, around this around seven um one i still can't explain this one i was at church i was playing joseph in a nativity scene we were outside they built a little steeple out of like wood like this and i'm sitting in the back corner like of this steeple the entire congregation is in front of me and everybody has glow sticks because it's at night i've never seen a glow stick before so i'm a kid and so i see this little kid who's playing one of the wise men he's chewing on the glow stick and i'm like oh i want to chew on glow stick it looks like something i want to chew on like it's green and it's glowy or whatever i stick the glow stick in my mouth the moment it touches my mouth the moment it touches my mouth i hear a voice keep in mind i'm in the back corner and everybody's in front of me whisper right behind my neck and it says there's poison in that wow and i'm like and so I tell my dad after the congregation, and I tell the the pastor, I go up to the pastor, I was like, hey, is there poison in this? He goes, yeah, don't, don't put that in your mouth. And I'm like, well, here's what happened to me, and here's how I know there's poison in it. And my dad walks up, and he goes, his name is Jim, he goes, uh, your son says... Your son says he heard the voice of God outside. <laughs> and I was like, bro, like, that's not what happened. Like, it wasn't God. There was something that told me there was poison in this because I put it in my mouth. So that was the first thing. Around the same age, um, I'm staying at this daycare. This is Leavenworth, Kansas. So all the buildings in Leavenworth are really old. And there's this big mansion that's still a child's daycare to this day. Um, but because it was such an old house, like, the folklore as a kid who would go there, everybody would talk about how back in the day, this used to be a hotel. 
um, before was a daycare and in the hotel, apparently nine people were murdered one night. And I, they always talk about like, yeah, there was a guy who was here hunting and apparently he was chopped up with an ax and his body parts were thrown out back. And who knows if this is all even true? Um, cause I don't know how to verify it and I've tried to do Google searches and I can't find anything, but they would do Friday night lock-ins once a month where on Friday night they would let the, the counselors or the, the women who work there as like the, the daycare people stay and then all the kids would stay and it would be a lock-in and then throughout the night they'd have different activities and stuff this is my first ever one of the lock-ins and i'm like seven and uh they did this thing called a ghost hunt where the counselors would dress up like ghosts put sheets over their head and they would hide upstairs and then the kids would go around with flashlights looking for everybody right well on this night they were prepping for the ghost hunt and we were watching an episode of Goosebumps on one of those old TVs that came out, rolled out on the tray. And it was a big box TV and it had a strap over the top. You, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Sure. And a VCR. And there's an episode of Goosebumps playing. Well, anyways, it's storming outside. And I remember it's storming because lightning strikes. It's so loud. And right when lightning strikes, and it must have hit strike really, really close because right when it strikes, the episode goes to the white noise, right? And then the the main lady comes up, she's trying to fix the VCR, and I vividly remember she's like pulling tape out of the VCR, like it is screwed, we are not finishing this video. And she's out of frustration, she goes, all right, everybody just go upstairs and start the ghost hunt, right? And I'm like too afraid to go upstairs, because I'm seven and it's my first time there. And all the kids there, they're like, you know, a lot of them are older than me, they're like 10, 11, 12. So they run upstairs, they're all excited. All the counselors are upstairs. I'm the last kid who's downstairs, and the only other person who's downstairs with me is Miss Joan, who was vigorously pulling tape out of this fucking VCR tape or whatever, VHS tape. And the way it's lined up, it's kind of similar to what your, your original story with the wood. Um, there's a stairwell that goes up, and then it there's a little landing, and then it turns and goes up again to the second floor. Um, and right at the bottom of the stairwell is the doorway, and it's like a double door that swings open, like kind of like this, and I'm standing in the doorway. I can look in here, and it's like the main room where the TV is, and if I look this way, it's the stairwell going up. Well, I'm the last kid there, and there's Miss Joan in here, so I'm looking at Miss Joan, and I'm about to go upstairs where everybody else is, and on that little landing between the flights, I see a full body apparition, which is somewhat translucent, but it's white, and it's a person wearing a hunter's cap, and it's what I assumed was the hunter that got chopped up and thrown behind the building, right? And he, I, when I think hunter's cap, it was almost like a raccoon cap, like a, like a Davy Crockett type of hat that David Crockett would wear. And I look, and he, he's like, he turns, like if I'm looking up and then it turns and goes up, he turns, squares up fully to me, makes eye contact with me, and just stands there and stares at me standing at the top of the stairs. And so because of the 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 way the layout, I don't have to move to talk to Miss Jones. So I'm like right here and I'm <laughs> making eye contact with it and I lean, I go, "Miss Jones, there's a ghost upstairs." And she's like, "No duh, there's a ghost sound going on." And so she goes, "Whatever, just go upstairs." And I look back and it's gone. Um so that, that was like around the same time as like I heard the voice, but then I didn't have another paranormal experience until the hat man when I was in high school. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what I thought about when you said like hunter's cap or like something like that. 
Sure. And I always think that maybe there's a possibility that there's certain types of people that for some way, shape or form have some type of greater openness to uh, events occurring like that. And maybe some type of uh, event that you had allowed that to open or you, you uh, built upon that, strengthened it. Same thing. For, I, I feel like it had something to do with the near death experience that I had that was the cause for so much. Hmm. I, honestly, I don't even know what that would be, but I could see, I, cause I've definitely heard about like people having near death experiences and being more open to that stuff. I don't know if maybe I'm just naturally more open to it. Maybe I was just more open to it as a kid. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, but um, I don't know. I guess, do you feel like, I, I, I guess for me, I get, I kind of like get, I get confused. I confuse myself because I'm constantly thinking, well, is it a ghost? Is it interdimensional? Is it aliens? If it's aliens, if it's interdimensional, do ghosts really even exist? Like, and I'm like, but I've, I've experienced different things that I can't explain that I would definitely consider ghosts. And I would definitely at this point consider interdimensional, but I just, I, I have no idea. And now I'm really thrown in a whirlwind when I think about like faces and wood, you know what I'm saying? Uh, which makes me think like maybe this is all just a really just a video game simulation, you know? <laughs> possible, I guess anything's possible. I think that maybe when you, you're talking interdimensional and ghosts, uh, there may not be a difference and we aren't aware of that yet that maybe every maybe everything is interdimensional and the way when we see things or other unknown occurrences or things that we can't explain happen maybe it's happening in that place or that place is coming to us for that moment in time and like i said i i'm a, a big believer in this crossover or things coming together at certain times or points and mm. Maybe the, due to the fact, maybe there's some people that remained open since they were children, you know, because our, our whole society is set up to change the way we think. And maybe we block it somehow without uh, knowing it. Maybe it's all the crap that we eat and the things we do to ourselves and occur to us living day to day that we we lose certain abilities that we initially had when we were younger mm. do you think we lose it or maybe it's like a muscle like you think you, you can regain it by working it i guess it's possible I, I i wouldn't know how to i wouldn't have the correct answer for you yeah uh you know i guess this is kind of a a, a change of topic a little bit but i'm curious to hear what you think about um a archaeological location in south america um, I think it's Puma Punku with the big H blocks. Right. Have you visited there? I haven't been there myself, but what do you I'm, make of that? Yeah, that that was uh, an ancient culture or civilization or both that we've just lost historical data about. Um, not everything has to be extraterrestrial. I, I'm a big believer that uh, it was from here. We just, you know, don't remember them. Don't have the data and hopefully maybe at some point there is some type of archive available that yeah. will come across and it has to be uh, it's just that the uh, geography has changed so much uh, and 
you know, like, like people, great example, people say that the Colorado River created the Grand Canyon over millions of years. And, oh, wow. you know, I, I, I'm leaning more towards the fact that a, a huge lake uh, or something broke and in matter of no time at all created it by, you know, all this water come flooding down at one time and then it being there and just constantly breaking through. But same thing, uh, you know, a lot of people say in that portion of Peru that even though that's so high up, at some part it was below the Pacific Ocean water and that within a matter of seconds or minutes, it was pushed upward. And then again, it was pushed down for another catastrophic event and then back up. And if that happened, look at everything. What could cause lost. something like that? A major catastrophe. Um, like a meteor hitting the. Well, and, and, and I, I always have this feeling that the earth acts a lot like our sun, that it's just a, a small sun technically. And I personally believe that over the course of time that the in, inner core leaks to the outer core and causes almost like a nuclear type detonation or explosion. Mm. And for a certain amount of time, maybe 12, 12 hours a day, the, we lose that uh, rotation. But if we were to lose that rotation, uh, it doesn't stop the wind from traveling at a thousand plus miles per hour. So imagine the destruction, imagine the, uh, causing the, the actual poles to flip, not magnetically, but I'm talking physical poles to flip uh, and be in different location. And that amount of weight and pressure would just yank and pull everything down with it. Where would it pull it to, you know? And then would the waters would come f flying over it at, thousand plus miles per hour yet you would have earthquakes you would have active volcanoes suddenly all come to life you would have tsunamis that would reach almost everywhere so i don't think necessarily that the event had to be an asteroid or a meteor um i think it had something to do with the planet itself mm. some type of uh change that occurs every so often and at that point, I think that the only people that survive are who are below ground. And I always tell people, if Adam survived, he was probably like the custodian of the school or something. He wasn't, uh, you know, this incredible scientist. So all that technology and everything was lost. And it took thousands of years to build it again. You know, Do you think that there's a possibility that there was probably a more advanced human civilization that was wiped out way more, way longer ago than we can even conceive, like hundreds of thousands of years ago. Yes. Interesting. Um, and is that just from examples like Puma Punku or uh, what's some of the other major ones? Um, Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli Tepe. Yeah, well, look at that. I mean, it almost seems like they were trying to measure or monitor something in the skies and it kept moving or changing for some reason. So they would have to create another one next to it to continue monitoring. And it, we were moving uh, erratically so much to the point where they had to keep building these, to these structures to, to, to keep uh, in, up with it. And at some point they buried them. 
because whatever they were monitoring, suddenly they knew, uh oh, it's coming. Yeah. So let's save this for whoever is going to survive, if anyone is going to survive. And think about it if something like that were to occur, I mean, it would wipe out almost everybody. There, there would be so few people. And the earth would, it would take hundreds, maybe thousands of years for it to get back to uh, normalcy. So you would have people living underground for a very long time. And now we have all this folklore and mythology uh, about us being in hell or in Hades and at some point coming up into the new world, you know, and starting over again. The Native Americans, some are in the fourth, some are in the fifth world. You know, one was destroyed by fire, another by water, you know. So if you look at the way that the stories are structured and you're like, you know what, maybe this isn't trying to to tell some type of story. Maybe this crap actually happened exactly the way it's being told. You know, it, it just, it's food for thought. Yeah. One thing that I, I realized uh, recently is like, if there had hypothetically been super advanced civilizations, like, Atlanteans or something like that, that had such technology where they could build these big structures back in the day, way before we could even conceive it being built. Wouldn't they have satellites or something in orbit like we do, if they were hypothetically more advanced than we currently are? Um, And if so, where are those ancient satellites rotating around the earth? Have you ever thought about that? Sure. And why are they not still out there and we're just not told about it? Or what if they're, you know, some people say there's these huge glass structures on the moon that we're not being told about. Really? So think about I, moon glass would be stronger than any metal that we know of right now. You know, so it, maybe it is out there and we're just not told about it. Mm. You know, or it happened so long ago. What would happen to our satellites over a million years? They would leave orbit or lose um, the gravity of the earth would pull them in. And what would they do? They would crash and, or, or be burned up in the atmosphere. So why aren't these, you know? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. They had to have had stuff and it's out there. We just haven't found it hmm. or the possibility of it. Yeah. That potential is absolute. Yeah. One one thing, and I guess, uh, you know, I'm curious is like, I've found that the deeper I go into the rabbit hole and the more I contemplate the possibilities of what things could possibly be, I feel like I start to become almost like, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. Like you almost lose motivation for the day-to-day stuff because you're like, well, what does it matter in the grand right. scheme of things, you know? <laughs> Have you ever f- suffered with anything Every like day. that? Okay. Every day. Um I realize that you can't look at everything and no matter how hard you try to take it all in, I've had to narrow it down and I want to be able to provide physical data um, that can at least show that some things are taking place. Maybe this is the reason for them. Um, So 
in the last few years, I've gotten or used more technology just due to the fact that when I watch television and I start seeing all these paranormal shows, it always seems it's the same thing and nobody's able to capture that proof that, damn it, this is it. This is for real, mm. you know? And now it's gotten to a point where it's just part of this culture where everybody's running around, you know, with the, with devices that they don't really know what they're collecting and, and what are they going to do with that information once they have it? And it doesn't seem like it's anything's being done. So I could tell you all my personal stories and I can collect so many firsthand stories from other people. But it, like I'd said earlier, in the end, it's just stories unless we have proof behind it. And for me, I absolutely am always willing and open to look at both sides, go down both roads. Um, a lot of people have trouble uh, with me in that regards. But if I'm not willing to look past what we know today, how are we ever going to move forward uh, and see if there is something other than what we currently are aware of? And a whole part of that is just trying to find the right technology to collect that data. And for some of this, I don't even think it's been invented yet. So we're limited right now with the knowledge that we know based upon what we know now. And maybe all that paranormal just doesn't operate in that realm. Mm. And all these people that always tell you, oh, I sense this and, and feel that, maybe they really do. They're, they're onto something. And we need to start asking ourselves, how can we collect the data that is being represented in, in their mind? You know, and how can we turn that into being able to not just collect data, but how about now interact with the anomaly or the atypical behavior occurring? Mm. I would love to create a portal. Yeah. Know? I would love to be able what to change the frequency, the resonance, uh, the vibration that I think is required in, all at once. I have tons of ideas of how to do it, but I don't have uh, the technology to attempt it. And I don't even know if that technology would be able to interact with what I'm hoping for. Mm. But at some point we have to start in order to get there. Do you think, cause I always hear speaking of like technology, you always hear the stories of like, maybe some guy has a scientific invention or a breakthrough, like the guy who apparently had an engine that ran on water rather than gasoline. And then he gets mysteriously murked by potentially the government. Do you think that there is a cabal or a person on top somewhere, somewhere, some person somewhere who knows and has access to that type of stuff? I, I do Re remember that uh, OSAP and ATIP uh, took place on Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, that money was allotted to Bigelow um, for whatever was happening there. And, and this is, uh, like you said, I have all this, so I'm constantly thinking about it and I hate having to do anything else, but, but think about this. So Bigelow sold the property. Why would he do that? Unless he and the government got what they needed. 
or interacted with whatever it was or whatever it is, why would they sell it? Why would he get rid of it? It had to be that they found their answers. You don't think he just got tired and gave up? No, absolutely not. No way. But here's what worries me is what if this cabal or these people are protecting us for our own good? Mm. What if a lot of bad things happen to good people? Um, it, it, it hasn't been always positive or neutral. It's, there's been some very negative things take place that have hurt people and injured people on the ranch. What if we're talking about person, place, or thing that's not good? You know, or, or many person, places, or things, and they're trying to stick fingers into a dam to prevent it from leaking out or breaking and bursting and coming in. So we always want to know, and we think the government is hiding stuff. Well, maybe they are, but for a good reason. And, and that's even scarier to me because I still want to know, you know, but yeah. at that point, if that knowledge is made known to the public, how is our perception of the way we live life going to change, especially with religion? I'm always worried for the fact that what if we're dealing with there are a bunch of micro black holes that can come together for some reason, for whatever is underground. Imagine what we're dealing with if we have all these micro black holes suddenly being able to form inside the planet. What, what we're talking about, how do we even defend against something like that or... Maybe now that they were done gathering the research or finding the technology that they found and being able to reverse engineer it or something, it, it, he got rid of it because they were done with the property. Hmm. And it was acting up more in the past. Um, in the late 1990s, it was really active for some reason, and it has died down a lot. In the last year or two, it's been picking up again. Hmm. So, what you know? Why? Why is that happening? And um, I just have this feeling that there's a lot of negative. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's entities, negative energy, maybe a, a grouping of it all. But um, maybe there's things that we shouldn't yeah. be dealing with that are taking place. And huh. when we find out from the cabal, you know, <laughs> maybe it was for our own good. Uh, I even good or bad though. I still want to know. And I, I think as humans, yeah. we all, we're, we're all suckers that way. Yeah. Last question before we kind of wrap this up, cause I don't want to take too much of your time is um, what do you make of Mandela effects? So describe to me what you, um, the Mandela effect that really gets me is the Mandela itself. When I was in high school, I could have sworn I read in a history book that Mandela died in prison in the 90s. Around 2012, everybody's, he dies, and we're like, my first thought was, wait, didn't he already die like decades ago? Like a glitch in the Matrix? Yeah. And talk about glitch in the Matrix, like, I can't help but wonder... When I, when I was in high school, uh, 2007, 2008, I was a senior, right? They were talking about the Large Hadron Collider. Potentially, when they turn it on, it, we don't know. It could spark a black hole. This is why I thought about it. Um, 
And I was like, well, hopefully they never turn that bad boy on because I don't want to even risk a black hole being on Earth, right? But then you got to think like a lot of this weird stuff, like I feel like it wasn't, I guess you have been talking about like weird anomalies from like the 2000s and the 90s, but like I don't remember ever hearing about Mandela effects until arguably after the Large Hadron Collider was turned on. Maybe there was a little bit of a separation of a dimensional shift. What's your take? And did you think that Mandela died in the 90s? So I just, I I really haven't uh, looked into it. Have you heard about these at all? Yeah, they call it the glitch in the matrix too. That was kind of why I wanted to see what you're, I I don't know. I mean, um, it's a, movies have been made about it. Yeah. uh, I haven't given it much thought, so I, I'm and I'm just not too familiar with the subject. Yeah, interesting. I guess um, you know, to wrap up here, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you feel would be relevant to the conversation or interesting to kind of add in? Oh gosh, I think we covered everything. Okay. Today. Yeah, we we went all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's my goal as sure. always. Um, so if someone wants to follow up with more of your research or maybe even potentially hear you speak uh, about some of these things about Skinwalker Ranch, where can they go? Where can they find more information? Sure. So uh, I have a uh, author page on Amazon. Uh, it, you can look it up through James Keenan. There's a lot of James Keenan, like Maynard James Keenan. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm the only one that has an author page on on Amazon. You can find I update it uh, every so often. My books are on there. Uh, I will be speaking at the UFO Mega Conference in Laughlin, Nevada. Uh, that's going on live uh, June 6th through the 12th. And you can also uh, get it online. And I'll be speaking on Wednesday. Also, uh, Dwayne Ollinger from uh, Blind Frog Ranch will be speaking after me. And uh, there'll be two other speakers that are from two other locations that have similar events occurring that day. So you can do that. Uh, and then just uh, kind of keep a lookout uh, is all I can say uh, for some shows coming out soon. Um, I might pop up on an episode or two here and there Okay. Uh, on a couple of different channels. What channels? I, I can't even... I can't okay. even say that. So we'll just right keep now, our eyes peeled. Yeah, they haven't come out yet or so. Okay. But uh, again, a great thing. S- season two of uh, Secret of uh, Skinwalker Ranch is coming out May 4th. So, you know, hint, hint. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> keep an eye out. And um, uh, a few other uh, shows coming up. But yeah, I'll, I'll try to update that on Amazon for everybody or on uh, my Facebook page. Uh, I I have one uh, under James Keenan and then also one under Dark Shadows and Catastrophe. Okay, perfect. And if there's any links or anything, I can go ahead and add those to the description. So just email them to oh, me okay, and we'll, we'll include those below the Great. video. But um, thank you so much for coming on. This oh, was a pleasure getting to speak with you and pick your brain on some of yeah, this absolutely. stuff. Yeah, thank cool. You. All right, guys. Peace out.